So Bertie Brits, guys. Amen. Is it right, Volka? Eliana said this thing wasn't hanging straight. So, <laughs> so we just had to fix that. And I'm moving a little bit back here because I've got uh, a small obsession. The gap on the camera above my head must be right. So uh, I'm just human. I remember um, years ago, my son did all, you know, they were doing my camera work for me. And one day I saw a guy preaching on YouTube and I said to my son, come and listen to this guy's doctrine. What do you think? You know, and uh, the guy was preaching a great manipulation kind of a, a message. And I, he, I mean, he, did, he, he just looked at it and the guy started to say five words. And he said, whoa, that's wrong. I said, how can you say it's wrong? You haven't even listened to anything. He says, Dad, I'm talking about the gap above his head. You know. <laughs> so greetings, everybody. It's a great blessing for me to be here. Uh, it almost feels unreal. And um, I'm very grateful that I can be here today and serve all of you wash your feet with the good news of Jesus Christ and share the gospel of His love with each one of you. I uh, want to thank Greg and Becky and everybody that was involved in making this possible. Like Greg already said, everybody that gave towards this to make this possible. Uh, it's a great honor to be here. And to have Greg as my friend is a great honor. He's a, like he said, I mean, I... The other day I was at his church and he introduced me and I was just thinking, man, I've never had such an introduction. And he was, it's just the, what he says and how he's, he words is it's so much better than what I could ever do. And um, Greg, I want to just thank you for your friendship and your honesty and your passion for the gospel. And uh, we've spoken so many things in our lives and shared our hearts with one another and shaped one another's lives, you know, and I really honor what God has put in you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you're a, a real, real friend and a brother, and I do believe that we will, for many years, preach the gospel together, you know. Um, thank you, brother. What you see in the two of us is what the Lord has, He has used one another to shape one another. You know, so I'm to a certain degree living in Greg and he's to a certain degree living in me because the Lord lives in us and in all of us. Amen. Now today I'm going to talk about, and I would like to continue where Rick basically left, left, uh, left us and talk about the promise. The promise of God, what God has promised us. And how this whole thing of promise works. And um, I would like to share this with uh, the idea is to, to bring hope to all of you. You know, I've been traveling United States for many years. And when I entered this year, now I came here about five years ago was the last time I was here pre-COVID. And when I entered here and I was traveling through the U.S., meet people and so forth, I felt like a kind of a despair in people's hearts, and as if the things are getting a bit too much, as if uh, politics is a bit out of hand, there's a, a great, excuse me, division between people, there's a polarization between people, and as if there is a, a kind of a hopelessness, we don't know where we are going, what's going to happen next. Uh, this guy says that thing, that guy says that thing. We don't even know what is really true anymore. We feel lied to and so forth. And we live on this earth and, you know, uh, it is a mess. Uh, when we die, we go to heaven, glory to God, but we still live here. And how do we deal with what is going on here? And I trust that this message today, tomorrow, and the last message will help you 
and bring great hope to you. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you that I can stand here today. Abba, you have spoken your promise to us from before the world began. And you've demonstrated what you've believed and what you want to bring forth in the resurrected, glorified human being, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you love us dearly and that you speak through me tonight. There are so many people here, so many families represented, and these people are your people, your bride, your very special people, whom you dearly love. And Lord, I stand here in all respect to them, to each one of them whom you loved, whom you sent your son to die for, and who you want to preserve forevermore. For you never can imagine eternity without them. And I'm here to wash their feet and serve them. And I thank you that you speak through me in a way that everything that I say resonates with what you already said to them. Amen. I want to uh, give a short introduction and this introduction introduction to all the messages that I'm going to minister and something you can just keep in the back of your mind. There's hope for you because Jesus Christ is Lord of the earth. Now just think of that a little bit. Joe Biden is not Lord. Neither Donald Trump. They've never been Lord. They can never be. There's only one Lord of this earth. And that is Jesus Christ. And the kingdoms of this world was made the kingdom of our Lord. And He can never die. He can never lie. He can never not fulfill what He's promised. He can never be corrupted. And He can never just love Himself and be in this just for Himself. He's come to bring the rule of heaven to earth and there's nothing you can do to stop it and nobody can stop it. And He's Lord. He can never be impeached. He doesn't have a four-year term. Hallelujah. He knows what it is to be a human being and He can never not be a human being. Let me say that again. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. He's a human. He's about six feet tall. Think of it. He knows us. He knows what human flesh is. You know, imagine just for a little bit, and I'm saying this as an introduction to you, how did Jesus think of his physicality when he walked this earth as pertaining to eternity? Just think of that a little bit. How did Jesus think about his physicality as pertaining to eternity? When he was a young boy walking the face of the earth, when he started to grow up, when he became a man of about 30 years old, and he started to see his calling, and he said yes to the calling that the Father has called him unto, and he realized that he's, he's a human being that's going to die, and he's going to be raised forever, raised up as a human, never to die. How, does he, how did he think about his physicality, his body, the, nece the necessity of physicality when he walked the face of this earth? Think of that. See, that's how we need to think about ourselves and about our bodies and the future that God has for us. Hallelujah. Well, if I say some radical things tonight, you know, I'm bold enough to say, don't believe me. Go and take it to God and speak to Him. If what I've said is wrong, forget it but at least pray about it and take it to God. I know what is done for me. 
and what has done for my wife. It's brought forth inside me a love for people that I can never have imagined. It's brought forth in me and my wife a love for this earth and what God is doing here that I could never have imagined. It feels to me as if I'm in heaven. Hallelujah! Because God has destined heaven for earth. We're aiming for heaven, but God has destined heaven for earth. Just read Matthew. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very next thing, this is how His name is hallowed. Your kingdom come. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. That is so powerful. Now, I'm reading this passage in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God saw everything that He made, and He beheld it, and He looked at it, and it was very good. You know, the earth is very good. There's no need to get rid of it. It's very good. The thing that was happening to the earth on account of man's disobedience is not very good. But the earth is very good. He made everything that He made and He said, this is very good. Do you know why God made matter? Why does He make the molecules of this earth? Why did He bring forth physicality? If you are the unseen God, how are you going to be seen? How are you going to be felt and touched? How are you going to feel what it feels like to be embraced and to embrace if you are the unseen God? As the scripture says, the God that has never been seen, never been seen, and that can never be seen. If you are such a being and you flooded with love and you flooded with goodness, you want to be seen, you want to be felt, you want, to, you want someone to find you. If you're unseen, how are you going to be found? Have you read Acts 17? Let me read it to you. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live where? On the face of the earth. And then he says, having determined and allotted the periods and the, bound, the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God if they might perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Now, this is what I want to say as an introduction to these three messages. God made earth as a very good place. He made earth and made matter so that He can be seen and felt, so that we can feel our way towards Him, so that when the glorified, resurrected Jesus is raised from the dead, that we in matter can behold God, that we can see Him, feel Him, and touch Him. Now why will he get rid of physicality? So that he cannot be seen and touched anymore? No. He made this earth as his dwelling place forever. And you know what it says in Acts 17? I don't have time to go through all of this. But just as an introduction, I'm saying this. That earth is good. God made man from the dust of the earth for the purpose that he can bring himself forth in matter so that we can see him, that we can feel him, that we can touch him. And then what he did was he raised a man from the dead as a man that was born of a woman with a physical body and he raised him up never to die to be the Lord of this earth. I want to tell you, this earth cannot be destroyed by man. This earth, doesn't matter what's going on politically, Jesus is Lord, and this is the place where God has determined to bring forth His glory, 
to manifest His fullness and to show you who He is, where you will see Him, feel Him, touch Him forevermore. I thank God that my wife has got a body. I can speak to her, I can see her, I can feel her, I can touch her. Do you know how devastating it would be to me if she dies? How will I feel her? How will I see her? How will I touch her? God has made us as His people to whom He will reveal Himself and has revealed Himself forevermore. You and the fullness of you are safe in His hands. Hallelujah. What God has promised you is the fullness of Him bodily. That's what Rick was talking about. The promise of eternal life. Now, with that said, and I will expound on that as we go on in the other messages, we have to go to a promise. What is a promise? When we look at a promise and the, uh, the word promise in Latin, the undertone of a promise is, uh, and it reflects the action of sending forth one's intentions or assuring someone that a certain action will be taken or a condition will be fulfilled. So in Latin, when you promise somebody, it's basically an action that is taken to assure someone. An action that you take to assure someone. And that is beautiful in the gospel because we see the action that God has taken to assure us of our safety and His ability to bring forth His promise is raising Jesus from the dead as a human being. Glory to God. Amen. Now, in the English, it talks about the commitment that is in the one to perform what he has promised. So in the Latin it is basically something you do. In English it's the commitment you have. And in Hebrew, a promise is the following. A promise basically bears the undertones and is derived from a root which means to trust or to bring security or rest in the one unto whom the promise is made. So, why does God promise us? Is so that we can rest while He works. Amen? A promise, God didn't give you a promise and then put an angel next to you to see if you claim the promise enough so that He can then have a report sent to heaven that this one is confessing the promise, this one is claiming the promise, this one is naming the promise, and therefore it will give us enough reason to do what we have promised. A promise is therefore that which is provided by the promise maker to produce safety, security, and peace in the one that is promised. So God has given us everything by promise. And we're going to look at when God promised, what God promised, and to what and unto whom God has made this promise. So I want to say this. Number one, know this. The earth is good. Matter is not bad. Jesus Christ is a glorified human being that, is the, that bears the fullness of God bodily. He is basically God's promise manifested, showing you what He has promised. And everything that God has done from the beginning is by promise. The reason He does it by promise is so that we can be calm and at rest and not stressed out while He works and performs what He does in the earth. Hallelujah. Now, to explain this, why would you promise your child that you'll pick him up at school, after school? Why would you promise him? 
because your promise will bring safety to the child. Amen. Your promise will save him from anxiety. Your promise will make him concentrate on what he's supposed to concentrate when he's in school. Because if your child doesn't know that you'll pick him up after school, he will not be able to do his work. Your promise empowers him to be a good student. Your promise empowers a mind of rest. And what your promise does is, your promise will save him from engaging his own ability to get himself from school to home where he puts himself in harm's way. That's what the purpose of a promise is. God has come and He's promised us. He's, he's the, whole, the, the way God works is like this. I promise you, you believe me, and I do it. That's how it works. It's simple. The reason why God promises and, by, and, and the way wherein He persuades us of His promise is to get us to a place where we can trust. Trust in the English dictionary means to have a mind at rest in the integrity and the faithfulness of another. So when you trust God, is not when you are anxiously walking up and down, walking the floor, praying in tongues, hoping for a breakthrough. Trust is when your mind goes to rest at the portrayed integrity of God. So trust is found in His faithfulness, in looking at what He says and His ability to bring it forth to the point that your mind goes to rest. I've many times not been in a place of trust. My mind has been anxious. I've been stressed out. Then I go to God and say, God, show me your faithfulness. And as God shows me his faithfulness, I continue to look at it until my mind goes to rest. And that's the purpose of the promise. The purpose of the promise is to save man from engaging human willpower to produce life for yourself where you rest in what He has promised, and where you are saved from what I would call self-destruction. Amen. God promises us so that we will not destroy ourselves trying to gather life unto ourselves, which only He can give. I like what Rick said. There's a freedom when you realize that you are just dust. What can you expect from dust? The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 15, from 10:15, he says, God is mindful that we are just dust. The problem is we're not always mindful that we are just dust. We think we can just make it, we can do everything. What about saying, God is not a fool, He's promised dust. Therefore, he expects of dust to be dust and simply trust him to form an eternal, immortal man by his promise. In the earth. Hallelujah. This is not the halfway house. Heaven is the halfway house. God's destiny is to have an earth flooded with the fullness of the glory of God. And nothing can stop it. And I've got good news. He's already started to bring it forth in the earth. There's a man that was born of a woman that, that died upon a cross as a curse carrying the curse of the whole world. And he was raised up out of a grave that you can find in Jerusalem. 
There's only one being that can make an evangelist out of a grave. And that is our almighty God. The grave prophesies not death to you, but that death can never condemn you. That your grave cannot hold you. That this earth is the place that God has made for you, wherein His rule will be, and we are not on the losing side. If you look at all the wickedness in the world, if you look at all the death in the world, it is dying. And life is living, and God's rule is here for us forever. Hallelujah. Now, He's promised us so that we can rest. You know, in the beginning, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. I want to talk a little bit about what is the Word of God. Whenever you think of, of the Word that was from the beginning, don't think of a Bible on God's bedside table before time. I hope it helps. Amen. When you think of the Word of God, you need to think a little bit different. We know that God gave us His Word. But I want to look at that Word that He's given us in a little bit of a different way than what we used to hear this. If I say to you, I give you my Word, what does it mean? I promise you. And the Bible says that God in the beginning was God's Word. He gave us His Word. He gave us His Word. Just for a moment, think of that Word in a little bit of a different way. We think of a Word when we promise one another and we will say to someone, I give you my Word. It means I give you my promise. I will do it. I'm going to read John 1 verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him wasn't anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life is the light of men. Now, 1 John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What does it mean? It means in the beginning was a word of life. It was a promise of life. So from the beginning, when God was in heaven, He started and said, I want to give eternal life. I want to give what I am to people. I want to create a place that I will seal with my life. I want to bring forth who I am in people. I want everything that was created was created with this promise in mind. So we, I want us to read it like this and we're going to look at other scriptures. But just as in, in the beginning... Put it this way, in the beginning was God's promise of life. This promise of life would be brought forth in this earth with God, and what He promises is Himself. And nothing that was made was made without the promise of promising whatever that is made eternal life. I hope you hear what I'm saying. God the Eternal wants to share His life with someone. And He said, I promise I'll bring forth an earth with a people and I promise my life to them. I promise that I'll share it with them. I'll promise that I'll bring it forth in them. Everything that I make, I made with this promise in mind that I will give eternal life to them. Now, 
How does this eternal life look? Isn't Jesus God's word? If you want God's word on how eternal life looks, that which God has promised towards man from the beginning, if you want to know what it looks like, this is what it looks like. It is a man that was born of a woman that grew up in this earth, that lived as a normal man, that died, and then he was bodily raised from the dead, never to die. And the eternal life of God, which we would call, in, in, in Greek scholars would put it this way, the life of the age to come, or the life that is in heaven, where there is no death, was manifested in the man, Jesus. And that is what is promised to each one of us. Now we would think for ourselves, is it even possible for God to take dust, matter of this earth, and form a man out of it, and bring eternal life forth in it? We would look at it from Adam's time for 4,000 years, and we would think, is it even possible? Can God bring forth such a thing in the earth? And then one day we find a, a, a young lady, maybe 13 or 14 years of age, and Jesus comes to her, an angel comes to her, an angel and says, says to her, listen, you'll be pregnant with the Messiah, the Son of God. And she says, let it be done unto me. And then a man was born. His name is Jesus. He lived on this earth. Rome took him, the Jews took him, with all the power of the world of that day, they crucified him, they condemned him to death, and they thought that they put Jesus Christ on trial. But Jesus and God, heaven, has put Rome on trial. And they thought that they can condemn him to death, and then he rose from the dead, never to die, and he condemned all of the powers of the governments of this world to bring death to man. And he says, there's no condemnation for us. We are doomed to live forever. And he's brought us to this earth. And in the beginning, God made that promise. And he has shown us that he can bring forth what is promised in human flesh. Jesus. I tell you, when I hear this, and someone says to me, do you know what they said in the politics again? I'm not even wasting a thought. Who can, in the presence of the Almighty God, saying, the earth is good, saying, I will come and incarnate earth. I will bring forth a man. I'll incarnate my word. I'll bring forth my word. I'll raise a man from the dead. I will show all of humanity what I can do in this earth in a man that simply believes me. That's filled with all the death of this world. Jesus was filled on that cross with all the possible death that there could be in a human body. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. There he was in all of our sin, in all of our death, not moving a finger to remove any of it. Only thing he did was, he said, The Father has promised me, and let's keep it that way. And the worst happened, he died. He was put in a grave for three days and God showed His faithfulness to a physical man that was born of a woman as God's Word to each one of you. To each one of you. You see, the problem that we have in Christianity, and this is my opinion of this, is we've got a dualistic idea of what a human is. We think of ourselves just as spirits and we forgot that we are humans. You see, I've, got, I've had this in my, in my life. I had this argument in myself for so many years. I would find that inside me something very good, a holy, my spirit inside me, holy, thank God for that. And my, I would think of myself as born again in my spirit and so forth. And I would say, glory, hallelujah, 
I'm on my way to heaven and I cannot wait for the, the, the streets of gold and the pearly gates and walking with my family that has passed away and, and seeing the Lord and all those kind of things. And very happy praying in tongues every now and then, being blessed. But then I found something else. I found a body that was saying to the Spirit, Lucky you. I'm hungry out here. I need money. I've got a wicked president. Somebody asked me, do you have any natural disasters in South Africa? Because we don't have tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes, nothing. We only have the government. That's our natural disaster. The body would say, well, glory to God, you are destined for heaven, but you know what I'm heading for? The grave. I'm dying out here. And you come here with your praying in tongues and stuff. I'm suffering here. Holy you, lucky for you, you're born again. But what about me? I've only born from my mother. You know how strict she is? I hope you see what I'm talking about. It's almost as if there's a part of us that's got a hope and a glory, but there's another part of us which is to a certain degree carrying the Gnostic feel of the design of man, which, which is it's kind of seen as dirty to a certain degree kind of seen as what Socrates would say, a hindrance to the real blessing. If I can just get rid of this body. Let me tell you something. You don't need to get rid of the body. God has come to get rid of the death. For your body is good. And it is the temple of the Almighty God. I don't know how our theology always works. It's like this body is the temple of God, but also glory to God if I can just leave the temple of God and go somewhere. The God did not come to save us from the earth. He's come to save earth and people from death. And it's come to bring its glory here. And we can believe in the Almighty God. And we can have faith and hope in this world. And we can love people. We can be good to people because we don't have to live this dualistic life. We've got a God that has promised us. Do you know the Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth? We've seen it as nothing. We've seen it as well. Well, thank God for this inheritance, but I'll exchange it for heaven any day. Thank you, Lord, for giving me nothing for an inheritance because I'm leaving anyway. I'm not saying there's not a heaven. I'm just saying just treat heaven as the rest area if you're on your way to, if you drive from San Antonio to Tulsa and you find a rest area somewhere, rest a bit, but don't call it home. I hope you hear what I'm saying. There will be a resurrection of the dead. Jesus will return. Glory to God. And I want to tell you, He's building. The Bible says we are as living stones. And He's building His temple in this earth. And He has promised you, man. And He has shown His promise. He's shown you what it looks like. We might say, what, I wonder what heaven will look like. Listen, what it will look like is the glorified, resurrected Jesus as He appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus, where He said that the people that walked on the face of the earth is His body, where He says that we as physical human beings are flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone. You are His. You are holy. 
You know, when you start to hear things like this, you start to get to a place where you're not so afraid anymore. Hallelujah. You know, when you, when, when you hear this, you feel, God, I understand you've made the earth, you've made humans, it is good, you've, what has happened to it is very bad. But you are a God that restores, that will keep your promise in the midst of the destruction that has come to this earth. He has promised you. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word of promise would come forth in the earth with God. By Him. And what He's promised you is Him. And nothing that was made was made without having the promise of eternal life in mind. Imagine that. I hope you can, if you think of this earth, think of walking amongst the bricks and the mortar and the stone and the sand and the wood and everything that is put in place prior to building a wonderful tabernacle. You're walking amongst the material with which everything will be built. The beautiful thing is, as I talk to you tonight, the people that I'm seeing, that I'm touching, that I can hug, that I can embrace, that is sitting in this place, these are the very people, the bodies that I can hug and touch, is the bodies that will be raised and glorified forevermore. This earth, the stuff we walk on here, this is what God has made and He has destined it for glory for all of us. We are already starting to walk in the overlap of heaven and earth. God is bringing His life to us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be ashamed. You might say, but what if I die? Look at Jesus. If I pull into the rest area for a while, it's okay. But God's destiny, where heaven has been destined for earth, can never stop. Because you'll have to reverse the resurrection and try and get that right. You know what God has promised us in Titus 1 verse 2. Paul says, I'm an apostle, Titus 1 verse 1. He says, I'm in the hope of eternal life, which God, which cannot lie, promised before the world began. <laughs> he promised it before the world began, church. What did he promise? Eternal life. I'm in the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But He has in due time manifested His word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. 1 John 2 verse 25 And this is the promise that He promised us even eternal life. Isn't that absolutely powerful? That's what He's promised us. You see, the thing that we've done in the church, what I've done in my own life, we've made the bar very low. We've made the qualification just, and I want to say this, and I say it over and over, and just please don't say, I don't say there's heaven. Our Father which art in heaven. Amen. I'm just trying to put the focus a little bit on what God focuses on. And that is people in our circumstances, where we are. He knows us. He knows our pain. He knows our hurt. He's, he's, he, he had mortal flesh just like all of us. And He trusted the Father and was raised from the dead. And now He rules over this earth to give us what He has. Amen. We've made the bar this. If we can just live good enough to persuade God that we are worthy to go to heaven, it's okay. 
But what God has come to give us is something much higher. Look at Jesus. Who of us can by our good works produce a man from the dust of the earth that can never die? Nobody. We cannot bring that forth by our own power. It is impossible. It is unattainable. But he can do it. I'm not saying that we all of a sudden are going to uh, become immortal. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that is a hope for when Jesus comes back. But what I'm saying is, is you can see yourself as very valuable and that He has promised you. He's promised you His life. He's promised you the fullness of God bodily. You can see yourself as valuable. You can see the whole of who you are as that which is being saved. You can see the fullness of who you are as that which is God, which God loves. When somebody is raped, we are not saying, well, you know, that person's body is raped. The person cannot be touched. It's because just the spirit is okay. No, when somebody is raped, we will say, that person has been raped. If somebody dies, we say, the man has died. If somebody, a young person, loses their life, we say, this person has lost his life. Where do we really feel loved? It is in our bodies. That's where we feel loved. Was there at Connie's house and we're talking about our families and she's got this beautiful picture of her family and her kids and grandkids and everybody there. And we were talking about what God has done for our children and we were talking about what God has done for my children. And we found that every time we define an answered prayer, we defined it as something that manifested in the physical. She got a wonderful husband. My son got this wonderful wife. Wow, they got a wonderful job. Wow, the Lord provided for us here and there. Everything we see is in the physical. God, it's as if God lives and manifests who He is in the physical. But when it comes to the uttermost manifestation of life, life and salvation, it's as if we want to exclude the physical and the earth. No. God has come to bring His life to us. He's come to bring His dream to us. And His dream is the fullness of His life to each one of us bodily. That is why if you do something wrong, and I like um, what Philem said. He said, if a child is young and he behaves like an animal at six months old, we don't call him an animal. We call him our son and we say what he is. And so God says about you what he says about Jesus. This is my dream for you. I've promised you before the world began. And my promise rests in my ability. And if you look at this world and you look at the decay in this world, let me tell you, God, there's a beacon of light in history. 2,000 years ago, there was a man raised from the dead. I want to ask you this. If Jesus died for the sins of the world, but he was never bodily raised, would there be a church? Would there be a church? There would be no church. You remember when Jesus was crucified? We find the whole scene around the cross as one of despair, one of tears, one of hopelessness, one of, oh my goodness, we thought he was the Messiah. He's not. We don't find people around the cross when Jesus died when, and He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, saying, Hallelujah, our sins has been paid for. Glory to God. Jesus is with the Father. The earth is redeemed. Hallelujah. We don't find that. We find despair, heartache, pain. 
We find them taking Jesus down from the cross. The whole scene there is one of uh, uh, brokenness, a kind of a hopelessness, a kind of we thought he's the Messiah of Israel. What are we going to do? The disciples were thinking, they're going to murder us. They're coming for us. They went for him. They're going to crush this thing. They see this as a rebellion. There's a big problem. All of that in the cross. And I'm not belittling the cross. I know Christ and Him crucified. But let me tell you something. They put Jesus in that grave. And on the third day, Mary went with some spices. And we know why she went there. And then they found the stone rolled away. And then there was good news. <laughs> this man is raised from the dead. What does that mean? I mean, you found all of a sudden, I tell you, the way Mary left the scene of the cross is not the way she left the grave. That's right. Not the same. I tell you, when she saw that open grave, and, she, and Jesus said, Tell my disciples that I'm going to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And I will meet you in a, in a certain place. When they told you, you know how she left that grave? She left with joy. She said, this is the Messiah. He is Lord. Can you see how the salvation of from all her fears, the salvation from the fear of death, how new definition of what true salvation is, was defined in the empty grave of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. The grave is empty. They didn't believe it. They did not believe the word that God has promised, that he will bring forth eternal life in the earth. They didn't believe then Jesus appeared to two men on the way to Emmaus. They went and told the eleven. They did not believe. What did they not believe? They haven't believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They didn't believe it. Then Jesus appeared to them, corrected them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, and then said to them, Go and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? Is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that that which God has promised for this earth has taken place in the man Jesus. And that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for us anymore. Hallelujah. Those who believe, believe what? That Jesus was raised from the dead. These signs shall follow them. Signs of what? That Jesus was raised from the dead. They will cast out demons. They will uh, drink something deadly and they, it will, they, they will not die. A snake will bite them and the poison will do them nothing. We see it in the Apostle Paul. There were mute, different accounts where they tried to poison some of the early church people and they survived. We find these signs of the resurrection of Jesus and the rule of God where He's brought His life to matter shown in the early church and even today, we find healings, signs and wonders. What is a healing? It is a showing to all of us that Jesus was raised and that He's got the ability to heal bodies, raise them from the dead and give eternal life to humans. That's what a healing is. And that's why if I don't get a healing when I've been prayed for, but someone else got healed, I'm equally happy. Because if it was me that was healed, glory to God, it spells I feel a bit better. 
But if it's someone else that was healed, or if it's me that was healed, the greater message is, the grave is truly empty. Jesus possessed the power to raise the dead, and I even now, in a form of healing, see a, a kind of a resurrection taking place in my body where heaven overlapped with earth. That's what's taking place. Hallelujah. Where did God, where did Jesus pour out the Spirit? On all flesh. It's as if the Spirit is on flesh for what purpose? God is building His kingdom in this earth. Hallelujah. This message is very radical. It is something that goes back to basics. It's something that goes back to the simplicity of the gospel. It is something that goes back to the good news of the, of the resurrection of Jesus. This message cannot exist without the resurrection of Jesus. It's got no value if we as humans are not seen as valuable in, as a complete human being. And this message removes fear in this earth and makes Jesus Lord and gives us hope. doesn't matter what happens. I want to explain the power of Jesus in this. You remember, if you remember, you remember the movie Spartacus. 71 before Christ, they decided to rebel against Rome. And they took 6,000, or they had this army, and they tried to overthrow Rome. But Rome crushed the rebellion. And they took 6,000 soldiers that was fighting for Spartacus. And they crucified them along the main road between Rome and Naples. Every 60 feet, they crucified one man for 120 miles. And everybody that would go, there was not other roads. That's the road. Imagine you drive between a, on a main freeway and every 60 feet hangs a crucified man and his body hangs on that cross to decay and be eaten by worms until bones are left. Then the bones are taken and thrown in a mass grave and the dogs eat the rest. Imagine that happens on one of your freeways here. And that's the only road the government forces you to use to travel. Do you see the power of the cross of Rome? It's the power of the fear of death. Then Rome took a man, Jesus, and used all of its power on that man. They killed him brutally on that cross. And God rose Jesus from the dead. And in that day, Rome lost its power. And in that day, every government has lost its power in our hearts because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and He is our Lord. And from that day, our life is not born anymore from CNN or from Fox or from whatever. Our we, we are citizens of heaven. Eternal life belongs to us and we live in this earth and we reign in the life that Jesus has over all forms of death, over all threats because He's promised and He's shown His faithfulness so that we can rest in the promise. I want to tell you a promise is not something that God has given you to work a promise is something God has given you so you can rest while He's working. This might sound like a radical message, but I want to say to you that the power of Jesus Christ is the power to give life to people. Eternal life. I'm going to read two more verses. It says, and God has fulfilled to us, God has fulfilled the promise made unto the forefathers, to us in raising Jesus from the dead, as it is written, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. Isn't that powerful? Absolutely powerful. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, 
a descendant of David. And Paul said the following three words, this is my gospel. Now what is the good news? The good news is that death is dying. That is the good news. Death is dying. You might say, but it looks as if death is going rampant in the world. Look at history. Listen, you only need one that can never die to be a big problem for death. Because if one can never die, death can never rule because one can never die. And if that one has decided, I, and especially if he's been commissioned by the Father to rule with his life in each one that believes and relies upon him, you will find that that rule brings forth that life in you and you live from that life right now. Hallelujah. You know, you can take the biggest heap of money and put it next to a grave and see if that money can help those bones. It can't. You can take your next political leader and put him next to a grave and say to him, help this dead guy. He cannot. He's useless as pertaining to that because he's heading for the grave himself. But we find a man that was walking the face of the earth. When he was raised from the dead, the Bible says, many of the graves of the old men of God in Jerusalem opened up and those people came out of those graves and they preached the gospel. Hallelujah! Sabertia, are you telling me I'm going to be a zombie walking in this earth? Listen, I'm telling you that the fullness of God bodily is, belongs to you. I'm telling you that there's a strange continuation between the body that you have now and the one that will be in the resurrection. You will be like Jesus. You will, you, I will come to you, you will come to me, and you will have these words in your mouth that our Christ had in his mouth when he saw his disciples. He said, touch me, it is I. Hallelujah. But body, Bertie, what if I was cremated? We're talking about the power of the infinite, transcendent, almighty creator of heaven and earth, which says, and it is. That's what we're talking about here. And all of his mind, all of his life, is directed to you, your family, your well-being, to preserve your life forevermore. Like any good preacher, I end off for a third time. Have you seen that movie, The Bicentennial Man? It's about a robot in the future that worked for a guy and this robot kind of showed signs of uh, being a person. And the, his owner believed that this robot is not just a robot. And he would save money up for this robot and eventually this android decided that he's going to start his own business and he became very wealthy and he invested a lot of money in upgrading himself. And eventually he looked just like a human being. It was play, played by uh, Robert Williams. Is it right? Ro is it Ro you know the guy. I'm not good in movies. I read more Bible. But the, he, play, he, he played this role. And then he came home to his previous owners one day and he saw the lady that he worked for and he greeted her and this lady was shocked and said who are you you're a stranger start to scream and shout but that was the grandchild of the people he worked for because you see he's a robot he cannot age he's kind of got eternal life and he fell in love 
with this lady and they got married and it was a big thing in the world because how can a robot marry a woman? The whole story. But then he realized he's going to outlive her. And he realized he's going to fall in love with the next one and outlive her. And he will fall in love with the next woman and he will outlive her. And so he will never have the one he loves to live with forevermore. And then he went in his inability to create immortality for those whom he loves and he took an injection so that he himself could become mortal and die. Our God looks at man and he says, these are my people and I'm not going to outlive them. I promise them my life forevermore. That's what I promised them. For I want them forever. I want them to live forever, and I want them forever to be in a form of physicality where the unseen, can for, the unseen God can forever be visible and forever be seen and touched and felt and so dwell with his family forever. That's what is dreamt for you. That makes your body very valuable. That makes the person sitting next to you very valuable. That makes sense of the whole earth and world and why God made all of this. It makes sense of what God has promised and brought forth in the resurrection. And that gives us the new birth. In 2 in, in Peter 1.3, it says, We have been born again unto a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah, church. You are the body of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead a descendant from David. This is my gospel. And Paul said, which I'm persecuted for, and I'm dying, preaching this gospel. But you know what? I stand before courts, and they condemn me to death, but there's no condemnation for me. They think they condemn me, but I cannot die. I'll be raised. There's no condemnation for me. They put us to the sword, the sword to the throats of the church. They burn us and condemn us to be tortured in uh, uh, Nero's palace. But that doesn't condemn us because there's no condemnation. For we're not condemned to death. For the grave is empty. Jesus the Lord and we shall live forever. Hallelujah. Thank you very much.